You're listening to the Candida Chronicles with your host, Dr. Jeff McCombs. Welcome to the Candida Chronicles, a podcast to help you learn more about Candida and how to safely and effectively treat it. I'm Dr. Jeff McCombs. I'll be your host as we discover all about Candida. I'm a third-generation doctor of chiropractic, and I've been working with patients with Candida for over 30 years. I developed the uh, Candida plan oh, about 23 years ago as a way to reverse the effects of antibiotics and to restore our health and balance to the body. Uh, this is our first episode where we'll cover some of the basics about Candida that will make you more knowledgeable than most doctors that you will encounter in your life. I've written two books on Candida and health. The first one is called Life Force and is currently out of print, but uh, hopefully we'll have that back in print sometime within the next few months. I know I keep saying this to my patients, but uh, I've been busy and just haven't gotten around to it. Uh, the second book I wrote is called The Everything Candida Diet Book. I was hired to write that for Adams Media. That was released in June of 2014. It's a good uh, primer on candida. It goes a lot into some of the background, uh, diets, herbs, supplements, um, different approaches that are used, as well as including uh, a good reference of over 150 recipes that uh, will definitely help anyone and everyone who's doing a candida diet. Uh, I have also just completed uh, my third book uh, for Adams Media as well, called The Everything Guide to Autoimmune Diets. That is scheduled to be released, I believe, in just a couple of weeks, June of 2015. Uh, so it's, I've been busy, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing a series on podcasts. I've done, uh, I think we have about 46 uh, YouTube videos out there, and I've written over 170 blog posts at candidaplan.com forward slash blog. That's uh, candidaplan, P-L-A-N.com forward slash blog. And uh, I try to include all the science and research uh, behind uh, the topics that I write about instead of just putting out opinion or um, clinical observation. Clinical observation is always good, but uh, when you have the science to back you up, uh, then that's even uh, more impressive. And there is an impressive amount of science on candida. It's amazing that uh, so many doctors know nothing of candida and think that their patients are crazy when the patients finally realize what they have because there are over 56,000 studies on candida at uh, PubMed and I believe PubMed is the uh, archive resource for the uh, National Institute of Health National Library of Medicine a lot of words there but it's uh, basically every research paper I think going all the way back to the 1930s and beginning in the 1940s, you'll see uh, candida being written about more and more. And uh, so there's a lot of information, a lot of science, a lot of research, and there doesn't need to be a lot of uh, mystery around candida. Unfortunately, there's also a lot of misinformation and disinformation and I think myth around candida. So hopefully we can dispel a lot of that with the science. and. Uh, were applicable, you know, if I can include, you know, my clinical observations and some case studies, uh, we'll do that uh, and try to answer as, and answer as many questions as possible and really narrow all this down to really the science because the science is there and the proof is there. 
Uh, we'll discuss everything about candida, uh, how it relates to other health conditions. There's at least 125 other health conditions and diseases that candida plays a role in. It either can cause them, uh, create them, maintain them, or influence them in some way. Candida is a very strong driver of inflammation in the body for, for several reasons. And we'll look at all that, try to stay up to date on the latest research. There's always stuff coming out. I mean, seven studies a day. A lot of it looks at drug targets, so a lot of it's really not applicable to what we're looking at. Uh, I'm not developing drugs, so I don't really care about how they decide to treat it through drugs. But uh, sometimes there is good information in there that we can learn from. Um, if you uh, ever have any uh, ideas or questions about candida-related topics that you would like us to cover in our upcoming podcast, please email me at info at candidaplan.com. Again, that's C-A-N-D-I-D-A-P-L-A-N.com. And we'll try to cover those in upcoming podcasts. Uh, so candida, what is it? Um, you'll hear a lot about it. Uh, you may just be new to it. And if you are, you're going to see there's a lot written about it because um, it's pretty much ignored by the medical profession. They only consider it uh, to be uh, an area of concern in people who have severe immunosuppression, such as AIDS, cancer, or they're on some type of immunosuppressive therapy, drugs, because they may have had uh, an organ transplant. That's really the only area they recognize it, because in those situations, you can get uh, runaway candida infections in the bloodstream, which is not a good thing. Um, but uh, the majority of the people who have candida have no resource, nowhere to go, uh, as far as the medical profession is concerned. And even those people in the medical profession who are starting to realize it still are very misinf misinformed about a lot about candida. So there's a lot of ground to cover here, a lot of... Uh, a lot of good science to put out there and a lot of bad science to hopefully get rid of. Uh, so candida, it's, uh, it's a fungus, it's a yeast. What is it? It's uh, actually both. It's a fungus, and fungi can exist as yeast, molds, or a combination of both those forms. But uh, candida, as it normally exists in the body, and it does normally exist in your body as a beneficial microbe or organism, uh, is dimorphic. It has ability to uh, switch from yeast to fungus. The beneficial form is generally recognized to be the yeast form, and the problematic, pathogenic, disease-causing form, trouble-causing form, is the uh, fungal form. So in its yeast uh, form, it's beneficial. It helps with, uh, it's believed to help with digestion, processing of foods. It uh, may play a role in alkalizing tissue. Um, in its fungal form, it creates all all havoc in the body, and it has the ability and a great ability to do that, and we'll find out why. Um, it has an ability to live in almost any environment, so it could live in your heart, it could live in your intestinal tract, it could live in vaginal tissue, it could live in the nail, it could live in your skin, it could live in your brain, your eye. It has the ability just to take up residence anywhere in the body. Um, it has some, uh, it gets its cues from its environment, so it can switch from yeast to fungus, fungus to yeast, back and forth, depending on the environment and the cues it receives. Um, but that's true of most microbes. They have this amazing ability to survive in all types of environment. I mean, we're in the last couple of years, we're discovering bacteria in 
from the ice age, which has survived in, in blocks of ice. Uh, microbes are amazing. Uh, they have 360 genes for every one of ours. Um, they outnumber us in the body, 100 trillion of one to 10 trillion human cells. Um, they're smarter than we are. They're more evolutionarily advanced than we are in many levels. Um, in terms of evolutionary scale, I think uh, microbes are so advanced and humans are more like slugs. Uh, they have an ability to adapt almost instantly to the type of chemical warfare that we rain down upon them and that they endure in the environment. Yet if we were subjected to the same type of chemical warfare as humans, we would just cease to exist. But they have an ability to survive and keep surviving and keep adapting. Um, the fungus, the, the yeast, uh, they're eukaryotic microorganisms, which the best way to describe that, I guess, is to say that they're very, their cell-like form is very similar to human cells and is sometimes mistaken for human cells. Def uh, that's definitely been demonstrated in MRIs and CAT scans and x-rays where sometimes there would be a mass and it's believed to be a tumor of human cell origin only to open someone up and find this massive ball of fungus in somebody. Um, that's rare that that happens, so no need to get concerned or freaked out about that. Uh, that's not what this show is about. I mean, there's definitely a lot of marketing out there that's aimed at doing that, at scaring people into making rash decisions about purchasing products. We like to put the science out there. Um, the science is convincing enough. Uh, you don't have to scare anybody with anything. Uh, Candida is considered, is called a facultative anaerobe. So anaerobes live in oxygen-deprived environments. Aerobes live in the air, the oxygenated environments. Um, there are two types. There's facultative and obligate. Obligate means they're obligated to live in that environment. So an obligate anaerobe would have to live in an anaerobic or oxygen-deprived environment. And 99%, 95 to 99% of the bacteria in your gut is our obligate anaerobes, meaning if they're exposed to oxygen, they will die. And that's why it's very hard to culture a lot of the different uh, species of bacteria that live in the body because as soon as they're exposed to oxygen, they die. They basically cease to exist, evaporate, dissolve. Um, candida, however, is called a facultative anaerobe, which means it uh, has an anaerobic orientation, but it can survive in an oxygenated environment as well. And this is important to consider because there are some therapies out there that seek to destroy candida by exposing it to oxygen when it has the ability to survive in oxygen. So it does, just doesn't make sense, but you find a lot of that information out there because people don't read the research. And these, this is just some of the basic information about candida. It's facultative anaerobe, and it survives very well in an oxygenated environment. And in, in fact, some of the the most resistant forms of fungal candida would be something like oral thrush, where it has a higher exposure level, level to oxygen. So that makes, it seems to be much hardier in that type of environment. Um, but it's facultative. It exists primarily in the body in an anaerobic state, but it has the ability to survive in an oxygenated state. It has a very, um, again, is very advanced in terms of evolution. It has a cell wall membrane that's so adaptive um, this is one of the problems with antifungal drugs. We pick out drug targets in the cell wall membrane to destroy that. And what candida does, it changes its cell wall membrane so those drug targets can have no more effect. 
So that's how we sort of developed some of the antibiotic resistance or antifungal resistance in candida. Um, anytime you use an antifungal drug, just the same as anytime you use an antibiotic, you're going to create uh, resistance in the organism you're trying to kill. Uh, in the yeast state, this candida cell wall membrane is anywhere from 25 to 50 percent uh, mannan, which is like a glycogen, sugar-like substance. 30 to 60 percent of that cell wall membrane is a beta-glucan, another glycogen-like substance. 2 to 14 percent will be lipids, 5 to 15 percent will be proteins, and then 1 to 2 percent will be chitin. And um, that's really interesting because that's another one of those treatments out there where people try to use chitin inhibitors to destroy candida. Well, chitin is buried very deeply within the cell wall membrane of candida, and it's covered by the beta-glucans and the lipids and the proteins and the mannan. And depending on <clears throat> what's happening in its environment, it can change that, those, um, that arrangement. And uh, in fact, when it converts to its fungal form, you tend to get a larger amount of the, um, the chitin, up to maybe 20 to 30 percent, but not a uh, significant amount of chitin. So when people are taking chitin inhibitors, it has very limited effectiveness against candida. And that was, um, that was something that was really brought out in, um, in a study by the University of California in San Francisco where they looked at the antifungal ability of chitin synthesis inhibitors um, or a, a substance called lufeneron, which is, is basically used to treat animals. It's, it's not even a human medication. It's a veterinary me medication. And uh, they found that um, the chitin synthesis inhibitors uh, had uh, a no uh, inhibitory effect against uh, fungus. There was actually had no didn't possess any antifungal properties. So if we understand the cell wall membrane, then we understand why that would be. And so you know that's why I include this information. It's that chitin makes up a very small part. That part does increase when candida is in its fungal form. But what they've shown, it doesn't inhibit candida from spreading throughout the body, um, and it doesn't uh, eliminate it. So uh, something to consider when you're spending your hard-earned money, just to be aware that um, there are more effective ways to go about um, treating candida in the body, and there, these ways are actually backed by science as opposed to um, just marketing. Uh, candida has several triggers that cause it, you know, we want to know what causes it to uh, switch from yeast to fungus, and there are several triggers. Uh, pH is one of those. Um, as long as you have all the good bacteria in the gut, in that dense ecosystem of the gut, um, they produce a lot of acid, and that acid keeps candida in its yeast state. So if we look at pH, the measurement of acid and alkalinity, on a scale of zero, 1 to 14, uh, 7 would be middle, and that would be a pH neutral state. Anything below 7, a 4, a 5, a 6, that's going to be acid. Anything above that is going to be alkaline. So in an acid state, candida primarily is going to be a yeast. The one exception would be uh, sometimes when you get into looking at the vaginal tissues, um, you'll find candida even cr in, in crouching that acid space a little where it'll be in the fungal form. So, um, but primarily in the acid state, it's going to be yeast, so it's not a problem. But once it gets into an alkaline state, then it's problematic. So when you destroy all the bacteria, when you lose all those acid-producing bacteria in the gut, that enables candida to switch into its fungal form and start to spread throughout the body. Uh, temperature is another trigger um, that's often cited in the research, although I'm not really that sure about this because um, 
basically the, it's constantly cited at 37 degrees centigrade, which is 98.6 typical body temperature. Candida thrives in that. So that trigger is always there. So that isn't something that limits candida. So there are other things that limit candida. So there's going to be pH. Temperature is pretty much all the same. Uh, glucose. Glucose is a really interesting one. Um, and unfortunately, there, this is where a lot of the misinformation and I think a lot of the mistreatment when it comes to treating candida comes from. Um, some of the earliest uh, information put out on candida was by Orion Truss, who was a medical doctor back in. Uh, he came out, he did most of the first initial work uh, in exposing candida or drawing the attention to candida as, as a major health issue in patients um, for which he was ridiculed and mocked and uh, by the medical profession as is their, their number one approach to things they don't understand. Um, but he, he said to use basically a low sugar diet to take sugar out of the diet. And sugar does fuel candida, and if there's a good amount of sugar, it does help to fuel the rapid growth of candida. But you have to understand that there are studies that show if you have too much sugar, that will also inhibit candida, just as too little sugar slows down the growth of candida. And when you look at candida and treating candida, there are many approaches that follow Orion Truss's approach, and they just take that diet from the 60s, and they're using it without really understanding what candida is and glucose and all the different mechanisms involved. And most people treat candida as though it exists in a test tube. So all you have to do is take the sugar out. But it doesn't exist in a test tube, does it? It ex exists in the human body. And in the human body, you're also going to have some other effects. So what are those effects? Too little sugar is going to suppress your immune system. Not something you want to do. Too much sugar will also suppress the immune system. As we know, you eat too much sugar, you tend to get sick. But uh, you have to find that middle range because you have to fuel your immune system. You have to fuel all the cells of the body. The brain is heavily reliant upon glucose. So trying to take all the glucose out, all the bacterial, that hundred, those 100 trillion bacterial cells in the gut, they're reliant on glucose. They also need the glucose. Um, they compete against candida for it. So it's not just that you put glu glucose in, candida gets it all. Some goes to the cells, some goes to the bacteria. The, you know, it gets distributed. But definitely if you have a a good glucose supply, that'll trigger the conversion of candida from its yeast to its fungus form. As long as the pH is right, the temperature is right, and as long as you don't have bacterial inhibition or competition. So it's, glucose is not really a strong trigger, but it definitely helps fuel the process. Um, there, again, there's good research on this. Um, I've written uh, a couple blogs that point this out, but uh, definitely um, if you have too little uh, sugar in the diet, you're also going to change the composition of your bacterial flora to too few carbohydrates. Um, and research has shown that um, you know, even after just four weeks of a low-carb, high-protein diet, that the change in the composition of the bacterial flora of the gut is enough to start to predispose you um, towards cancer and towards leaky gut. So um, not having some carbohydrates for the bacteria of the body is, is not a good thing. Uh, also, there are others, uh, more studies, there are several studies that, that demonstrate this. Also, if you try to go too low on, on the fuel, then and if you're trying to starve candida out of the body, well, starvation is a trigger. Um, if you take all the food away from candida, which you cannot do because it can get the food from the cells, from the tissues, etc. But if you really reduce um, the food supply down below its needs, 
that is a trigger. So the yeast will convert to the fungal form and go looking for food. Just the same as if someone took all the food out of your house, you'd go shopping. Candida does the same thing. You take all the food away, that's a trigger to go from the yeast, the beneficial yeast form to the pathogenic fungal form. Um, as I mentioned, loss of competitive inhibition without the bacteria there, that's going to trigger it. When you take antibiotics and you destroy the bacteria, they leak substances out from inside their cell walls as they break down, and those substances are also triggers for the conversion of the yeast to the fungal form. So if you're destroying all these good bacteria, or just all the bacteria, period, because there's really a question if any of the bacteria is bad, because even the bad bacteria serves a role in a healthy ecosystem, um, you're destroying it, you're, it's hemorrhaging all these substances, they're basically a signal to candida that, hey, the bacteria is leaving or it's, it's breaking down. Let's grow. It's our time, it's our time to grow, just as it does in, in nature. You know, as, as trees break down, the fungus come and break down it, break everything down further. Um, so the, the gut is an ecosystem. It's called the densest ecosystem in, on the planet by some scientists. Um, so you have that loss of competitive inhibition, the leaking and hemorrhaging of uh, intracellular substances that cause that are triggers. You also have macrophages when uh, the front line of defense of the immune system are macrophages. When they engulf or eat candida in its yeast form, that is a trigger that will cause it to convert to its fungal form. And the fungal form, or the yeast form is like a little round cell. The fungal form is like a branch, a tree branch, and it just assumes that form and it ruptures the macrophage. So uh, candida is, is an amazing organism to study. Um, immunosuppression can also be, um, I think, more facilitate the, uh, the growth and spread of candida as opposed to really be a trigger. But definitely if there's no immune system there, then candida has free range. Uh, again, it's an amazing organism. It, has, it secretes all types of enzymes to degrade and break down the cells of the body. If your cell has fat in the cell wall membrane, it secretes lipases and phospholipases. If, if your cell structure is made of protein, it secretes proteinases. It has all these different enzymes that it uses to break down tissues in the body. And uh, the secreted aspartyl proteinases are one of the main virulence or growth and spreading factors that Candida uses. And um, there was a study at the University of California, San Diego, that showed that an excess amount of these proteinases in the tissues in the blood uh, can lead to high blood pressure, prediabetes, insulin resistance, and immune system suppression. So there you have one mechanism that's altering the immune system. But candida has, has many mechanisms when we look at the immune system. It has the ability to invade tissues and avoid immune responses. It can manipulate our immune system in so many ways. Um, it alters the function of cytokines, which are sort of like uh, cellular, extracellular substances produced by white blood cells that tend to be pro-inflammatory or anti-inflammatory, so they play a role in regulating the immune system. It can alter those to create dysregulation of the immune system. Um, white blood cells and human cells release another substance called chemokines, and those are like messengers that go and tell the, the white blood cell to come to the site of the infection because there's an infection. Uh, Candida can manipulate those messengers. Uh, complement proteins, another aspect of the immune system, which plays a role in helping to identify infections. It can manipulate those substances in the body. It can manipulate white blood cells and destroy white blood cells, as we've talked about. So it's uh, like many microbes, like many of the pathogenic microbes that we find very problematic in our society today. It has this great ability to manipulate 
uh, tissues, cells, systems, organs, invade them, set up in them, and uh, create a lot of havoc. Um, so that's, that's, that's candida. It's, it's an amazing organism. Um, it's been around a long time. Uh, you know, it's, I think some of the first recordings on candida, uh, since this is the Candida Chronicles, we want to kind of look at some of the chronological data. Uh, first existed around, uh, at least first recorded around 400 AD by Hippocrates, the father of uh, modern medicine, who an association he probably would distance himself from these days if he were able to see what medicine has become. Um, but it's cited in the literature uh, here and there, 1700, 1771, 80, 1786, 1839. Um, Berg in 1844 took healthy babies and inoculated them with candida as part of his study, which actually killed one of the babies. So, you know, we don't actually do a lot of live human <laughs> uh, tests, and definitely not with um, newborn infants to see what they can withstand candida. But back in 1844, they did. And I think what's really most important to point out about that as far in addition to the short-sighted um, testing uh, methodology, is the fact that uh, here were healthy babies that were inoculated with candida. They were healthy, and it still was able to impact their overall health. Uh, in 1923, candida was named candida by a researcher, a mycologist, Christine Burkhout, who even named one of the species or strains after herself. Um, it had been... Uh, uh, pretty much not notable as um, a, an oral infection, oral thrush. That was Hippocrates in 400 A.D. and a lot of the research and sightings in the you know here and there. There's not a, wasn't hasn't been a lot written about it prior to the mid 1940s, but uh, here and there it was uh, noted to be white in, in consistency. So if you have oral thrush, you have that sort of white cheesy coating to your tongue. Uh, vaginal thrush, uh, somewhat similar appearance, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's candida causing it. And it was in the 1940s, mid-1940s, when we really had the massive introduction of antibiotics, um, penicillin, in the mid-1940s. If you look at, uh, again, if you go to PubMed, the uh, archive for the um, research papers, uh, all, going all the way back to 1937, 1943, and 1945, there were zero studies on candida. Uh, 1945 is the introduction of antibiotics, so in, in 45 we see four papers. Uh, the following year, 10 papers and uh, 56,000 papers since then. And um, last year alone, there were over 2,500 papers, enough to, for uh, over seven studies a day being released on candida. So it, it is a serious issue. It draws a lot of attention from the research field. It's a complete mystery in some ways why the medical profession doesn't recognize it. Um, much of that may be due to the fact that antibiotics are the main cause, and without antibiotics, you know, medicine is really um, modern medicine or medical doctors are really challenged uh, in treating many, many conditions. Um, that's why we have so much antibiotic resistance these days, which we now predict that there will be 50 million deaths between now and the year 2050 due to antibiotic resistance. It's something that medical doctors do not wish to stop prescribing, even though it's creating this huge problem for humanity. Um, but antibiotics are really, really bad. Uh, if you look at any of the research papers and studies that are out there, um, they consistently cite antibiotic treatment as the cause of candida. They might periodically cite stress or steroid use or um, even uh, hormones. But, uh, I mean, none of those actually do what candida does. They may suppress the immune system or alter some of the pH a little bit, but it's really destroying all the bacterial inhibition 
wiping out 100 trillion bacterial cells that gives candida free reign. A um, lot of studies, uh, antibiotic treatment, here's one study, antibiotic treatment has been shown to increase the rate of candida albicans. Another study, candida albicans infections often occur during or shortly after antibacterial treatment. Uh, another study, risk factors for candemia, which is candida in the blood, is breakdown of the mucosal barriers. Um, something that um, you know antibiotics also play a role in. They affect the mucosal barrier. Um, uh, another study, antibiotic theory has been reported to precede disseminated candidiasis in children. Another study, oral antibiotic therapy in humans often leads to colonization and overgrowth. So lots of studies. Um, and, and how fast does this happen? Uh, if you look at studies anywhere from uh, five to 10 hours before it clears the bloodstream, that means it crosses the intestinal barrier and it's in the blood and then out of the blood within five hours and into the tissues of the body. Uh, this study um, from 2005 says in 24 hours, uh, you'll have exponential fungal growth. In this one, it cites the kidneys. Um, and then 48 hours before it becomes positive in the blood. So it's a problem. It's uh, not going away. Um, 56,000 studies and, and you know, seven, seven every day. So by the time I'm done recording this, and getting this out as a podcast, there's probably going to be another 50 studies or so. Um, and it's, um, you know, it's, it's here. It, it's shown to colonize the body permanently and persistently. And it's a problem. And... Uh, so we're going to go more and more into it um, and uh, look at the, the dietary approaches. We're going to look at testing and the limitations of testing and uh, the problems with testing, uh, what tests are accurate, what tests aren't accurate. Um, you know, considering that some of these are very expensive tests, you want to test before and after. So we're going to look at that. Um, but it's, it, it, is, it is sort of amazing that the medical profession does not recognize candida. Uh, but there's hope, um, chronic fatigue syndrome, which has also been ridiculed if you went to a doctor, and it was often said that you will, that was all in your head, it was all in your mind, um, and they send you off for a psychiatric evaluation. Uh, chronic fatigue syndrome now has finally been accepted, and which is, I think is amazing, because chronic fatigue as a diagnosis has only been around, I mean, there's only 6,500 studies on chronic fatigue syndrome and myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is often paired with that as, as a more advanced form of chronic fatigue syndrome. There's another 6,700 studies in comparison to candida, which has 56,000 studies and it's not recognized. So, you know, it's, it's, it's coming, it's, it's day is coming, and, uh, you know, we're here to prepare you, give you the information, help you to understand what's taking place, and hopefully by knowing and having this information, it'll help you make better choices and treatments and and uh, have a greater understanding of candida. Um, check us out uh, on our candidaplan.com uh, for more information on the diet. The candidaplan.com blog is the blog, uh, over 170 posts. We're on YouTube, uh, we're on Facebook, uh, we're everywhere, uh, just like candida. And uh, if you have any questions, let us know, and we'll try to answer those questions. And uh, hopefully we can make this so it's not too dry and uh, and coming up, we'll, we'll keep you updated on some of the latest research on candida. Uh, we'll look at some case studies and uh, go more into um, what to expect and uh, what not to expect because you don't want to – some people make the, the mistake of blaming everything on candida when, in fact, there's too many other things to also consider. But it, it definitely is, is uh, a force to be reckoned with, and uh, we help to make that easier for you. So uh, thank you for joining uh, me today, and I uh, look forward to uh, 
getting the opportunity to um, share with you more in the future. Have a good day.